0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour... You'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
2: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, we live in a world where failure occurs every day, where we fail ourselves and others, and others fail us, and life itself seems to fail at times. We live in a world in which we may pray for salvation, for sustenance, for safety and security, for love and relationship, but our prayers often seem to fail at the doors to the gods. And what about God? Has Western, the Western version of God failed to bring about the good results that we expect from his judgment, his mercy, and his love? Failure seems to be everywhere, looking around every corner. But what if it were actually possible that there is no failure? Not one failed life anywhere, anytime. Well, that would be heaven, wouldn't it? We'd have everything we ever wanted. We'd never make a mistake or fail at anything. Well, it's not exactly what it means, but on today's show, our last in the countdown to heaven series, we're going to find out what it does mean and what that has to do with inhabiting heaven now. And we're going to hear the next clip for Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday. So, you want to stay here for the whole show today. Um, this whole idea of failure is a really scary thing for most of us. As some of us, uh, particularly in the spiritual world, where we where there is seemingly developing a correct spirituality. Um, you know, we have a lot of us in who have sort of joined ranks with others in the human potential movement or other such movements have... Uh, have have called ourselves spiritual but not religious, and yet more and more we are seeing ourselves uh, forming sort of a correct motif for spiritual correctness, um, so that we're supposed to be doing certain things and not doing other things, and uh, underlying that is this idea of failure. Well, if you don't do it that way, then you must be failing as, as at being a spiritual being. Now, if you said that out loud to a lot of people, they would say, no, 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 no. We don't really, really mean you're failing. But actually, underneath that is there's a should. So if you don't do the should, then what? Are you failing? Are you succeeding? What are you doing? And so that whole idea is underlines and undermines our efforts at becoming spiritual beings who can inhabit heaven now so I want to say this uh, the book inhabiting heaven now the answer to every moral dilemma every ever posed is coming out on Friday of this week uh, it is already available on online sites for pre-sale. But uh, it will be available for sale, for real, and you'll be able to get your copies when you order them um, on the 13th of December. You can also order directly from John Hunt Publishing uh, after that date as well. That's the publishing company. Um, and you can, of course, go to any of your brick-and-mortar bookstores to get the book then. I've been doing this Countdown to Heaven series so that we could get some idea about what it is that this book has to say. Of course, I'm its author, so I'm going to say that it has some very important messages, but I believe it does. I believe that the messages here can take us to the next stage in our spiritual development. Why? Because these underlying motifs that sort of underlie the lessons we're teaching out there today need to be challenged. And this book challenges them. So that we can actually move on to the next level of our spiritual understanding, our spiritual awareness, our spiritual consciousness, and our awareness of ourselves as the divine beings we are and as the heaven we are. So um, so that's why I'm talking about failure today. Um, so when we think about failure, we think about it in opposition to success. So success means X, Y, and Z, and not having those things means failure. Um, so we we make up our mind what success looks like, and in the Western world, success has a fairly typical image, and that image is um, a person who has wealth, who has uh, a standing in the community in terms of respect, who has um, the uh, certain abilities and skills, and that uh, so it it, ha- it looks like someone who who we would look up to and admire. It looks like a house with a picket fence and 2.5 children and a car in the garage and maybe another one out on the driveway or maybe a two-car garage or maybe a three-car garage. It looks like uh, um, someone who is famous. It looks, like, it looks like someone who can do whatever they want because they've got enough money, time, space, energy, etc. to do it. So that's a generalized view of what we think of failure being. Um, and, And so when it comes down to understanding what we are when we're successful, we strive for that image. Well, that image, of course, doesn't happen to a lot of us. It happens to the rare few, and the rare few become our icons for that image. And so we perpetuate the image by raising the icons to a higher status so that we can say, okay, there's the image. and me keep raising that up there so I can work toward it. Um, and so the icons benefit from that, and but they are benefiting from our need to project onto them our need for some idea of what we think of as success. So it's this sort of vicious cycle that we Uh, are on and it's it's a little bit like a treadmill we're walking and walking but we're never getting anywhere and while we're walking on that treadmill we're looking at you know Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie and uh, Oprah Winfrey and all the big names that are out there and we're saying okay that is where I'm headed that's where I'm headed but we're still on this on this treadmill we're not going anywhere and why aren't we going anywhere well there's a lot of people that would tell us that the reason we're not going anywhere is because we're not thinking positive enough Um, and of course, you know that I've written another book called The Law of Attraction, The Soul's Answer to Why It Isn't Working and How It Can, where that, uh, those theories are sort of debunked. They're, they're just, uh, debunked, excuse me, and they're, uh, where we learn that there's a whole new way of looking at the law of attraction, that the old way of viewing the law of attraction just has not proven to be true. So, um, so those people that are telling us that, um, Maybe they have some basis for their belief, and I certainly respect their rights to have that belief and to uh, to teach that to other people. But you're not going to hear that here on the show, and you're not going to hear that in any of my books. And uh, you're not in in the idea of heaven. That idea is unfounded. So, um, so what does it mean then to 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 be successful? Well, there's a lot of people that will say, "Well, success means breathing in and out." Success means uh, 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 having a goal and accomplishing it. Success means getting up in the morning. For some people that are depressed, uh, success can be different people to different pe- different things to different people. So we don't want to define success necessarily, because when we do, the opposite comes into the picture. When we say here is what success looks like, then we also have to know that. If we don't have that, then we must be failing. Um, so I don't want to define success. What I want to do is talk about how we came to the idea that we could fail. Well, we came to the idea that we could fail because, A, because we compare ourselves to other people. Uh, and the reason we compare ourselves to other people is because we live in a society where Some people get things and other people don't get things, and we look at those people who get things and we say, why don't I have those things? And those people who get those things say, well, I must be better than those people because I have these things. And that's sort of how we think. Why do we think that way? Because we live externalized. We live from an external position. So what that basically means is that we are living outside of ourselves. We're not living inside of ourselves. We're living outside of ourselves. So that means that I'm not familiar with the inner terrain. I don't know much about what goes on inside me. I don't know what upsets me, what makes me happy, what gives me joy, what what uh, goals I'd even like to accomplish. I don't know much about what goes on inside of me. I only know you got that thing and I want it. And I don't have it, so I must be failing. So that's very simplified version of what we think of failure being, but it comes about as a result in, in part because we compare ourselves to other people. It also comes about as a result of the idea of worthiness. Uh, we got the idea of worthiness, as you know, if you've been listening to the show at all, from the, the, the trance state of duality. In the trans state of duality, we think that we are bad and God is good, and that's the reason why God has separated himself from us, himself being an operative term there in the Western culture. Itself is what I would prefer to use simply because there's not a word, that, a pronoun that really defines something as mystical as, as the divine. But uh, in terms of uh, our reach to the divine, it seems very, very far away. It's way out there. We're bad, and we're failing, and we're not doing it right. And there's God, there's the divine, way out there somewhere, unattainable. And even when you think of it in terms of philosophy, like, say, for example, the Buddhist philosophy, uh, where there's not a God that we can see as far out there or even close in, it, uh, the Buddhist philosophy is that we are self that is no self that is real self, um, and that's a sort of combination idea that basically says that we have this beingness inside of us, and that's what we're here to be. And uh, but there are principles. Um, there are uh, there's a pathway, and if a person can't attain to those principles, then those people think of themselves as failing. So as long as there's a right way. Then there must also be a wrong way. And the wrong way means we've failed. So our worthiness is all wrapped up in that. And we've developed all kinds of codes for our behavior in our society that tell us how we should behave how we should be in order to look like successful human beings. Okay, so even if you take the money out of it, even if you take the big house and the big cars and the, you know, the riches and the fame out of it, we can at least look like, you know, decent people. But if we're, uh, if we're in that motif at all, there, is, there lies the possibility of failure, and within that lies the possibility of unworthiness. And so we, our worthiness is always hanging in the balance. Our sense of self-worth is always hanging in the balance. And how hard we are on ourselves about that or how easy we are on ourselves about that makes the biggest difference in terms of how happy we are in our lives. Um, so when it comes to being able to think about the concepts that are uh, that have everything to do with living in heaven right now, we have to consider this idea of failure as one that may be a failed idea. Because uh, there's some passages, and, and I go over these in the book uh, in depth. But just real briefly, one of the passages that I've quoted a lot here on this show is, the one in Isaiah 55:11 where he says Isaiah is talking for God or maybe channeling God or something like that and he says my word like the rain comes down on the earth and produces flowers my word will not return to me empty now in the in the more traditional interpretation that means the word of God which is typically seen as the bible the text the words on the pieces of paper on the pieces, pages of that book but from the perspective, when you take that the word and, and bring expand it out through all of its usages throughout the text of the Bible, what you find is that it means something far different from that. Uh, it is something to do with the actual create creation. Um, it is something to do with the word, let there be light, and there was light. The command, The it has something to do with the essence of who we are as divine beings. All of that sort of wrapped up into one thing. So it, it it's basically saying my creation, my the breath that I put into the beginning of humanity is not going to return to me empty. Now that's a powerful, powerful statement when you think about it in those terms. And what that basically means is every person, every person that walks through life has not returned to the other side of that life, empty. Something got fulfilled in that life. Something happened that was of great success. And that is an amazing thing for us to consider when we juxtapose it against our ideas of how a person becomes worthy. So we have to then begin to question our ideas of how a person becomes worthy. If it's true that there's no such thing as failure, then we have to wonder what we're basing our worthiness on. Now we're talking about a a huge leap in our spiritual understanding of who we are and what we're doing here. Now we're talking about the next stage in our spiritual evolution, and in order to attain to that next stage, we have to shift, mindfully, consciously shift our understanding of who we are and what we're doing here, and that's what this book, Inhabiting Heaven, is all about, Uh, because... From the perspective of worthiness, there are all these codes that we have to follow, um, you know even if it 's the code of the street where the snitch is the bitch well i 'm not going to be the snitch. I used to work in drug and al- alcohol treatment facilities many years ago, um, and I was the program director, so the biggest complaints or the biggest problems came into my lap and um, and uh, as a result. What happened was I became involved in the scenarios where uh, drugs were brought into the house by a, by a client, and somebody else didn't want to tell about that, and they might have been white-knuckling it through treatment just so they wouldn't have to be the bitch that snitched, and they're, they're sacrificing their own recovery in order to make sure that they live up to that code that says, this is who you've got to be if you're going to be worthy of the streets. Now, you can see how this means that these codes don't have anything to do with right and wrong. They don't even have anything to do with common sense sometimes. But those are the codes, and by golly, we're going to obey them. And so we have have decided on our identities based on these codes. Really, do we want to keep doing that? But that's what we've done for centuries, hoping ever to evolve into this new place where we'd become righteous people where evil no longer existed and there was peace on earth. That's what we're hoping to happen. And yet, the thing we're doing is the same old thing over and over again, looking for different results. And that, according to AA, is the definition of insanity. I love all the little, uh, quotes that I can steal from Alcoholics Anonymous. I learned a lot of those when I was, uh, working in the drug and alcohol field. And I love to use them because they're so true. They're just so power packed true. And the reason they've made them that way is because, because when a person is craving, they can pull on one of those little quick quips and just be able to say, oh, okay, well, let me rethink this. Um, but, uh, So when we talk about uh, coming to terms with ourselves as beings who can possibly inhabit heaven now, um, we have to reconsider those codes as well. Because those codes are keeping us stuck in the mindset, in the duality trance state, where we cannot ever be worthy. Why? Because if if we ever call ourselves worthy, then we must be really arrogant and if we if we say i'm a worthy person to another human being they're going to say well yeah well look at all the things you do wrong because you know look at you can't be really worthy i mean what is worthy you can't you know you can't really mean that but because our standard is perfection that's the standard you you know you have to be perfect in order to be worthy in fact that's one of the things that in the new testament jesus says I want you to be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. And we have literally interpreted that to mean, uh, yeah, we got to be perfect. And so all of us are failing. Every one of us on the planet is failing. And that makes me kind of want to go, poor God, he, he's failed so miserably to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. But maybe not. Maybe there is no such thing as failure. And we're going to talk about that some more right after the break.
0: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Every moment that we live provides us with numerous opportunities to grow more deeply spiritually through our active engagement in positive, concrete ways that can uplift, encourage, and help ourselves and each other. Become a part of Our Sacred Journey with your host, Audrey Katagawa. Our program will include guests who will share their experiences with you to inspire you to help create a peaceful, cooperative present and future and to explore your creativity and the valuable contributions which you can make. Our Sacred Journey airs live Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network.
0: Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
2: And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. Furthermore, they study other paths, alternate traditions, such as parapsychology and metaphysics. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC approved continuing education, and a brand new PhD program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following Holistic Theology, offering as terminal degrees both a THD and a PhD. Holistic Ministries, Holistic Health and Spiritual Care, Metaphysical Spirituality, and Alternate Spiritual Traditions, which includes in-depth studies of the paranormal and parapsychology. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. What is most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all of the world's religions, traditions, and paths, helping you find your own. Utilizing as your text-writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world, the coursework allows students to explore and find their own spiritual experience and path, and then, if they wish, to take healing, help, and wisdom to others. So AHT is changing the world one student at a time, and all you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325. You know, April says, education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we're talking today about the idea of failure. And what we're discovering slowly is that their failure is just not an option, never was and never will be an option for all of the people here on planet Earth. But the way we look at it, we're all failed. What we've been taught to look at it as we're all failed, we're all are striving to be better than we were yesterday in some kind of way whether that's financially, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. We're all, in some way, striving to be better than, the, than we were. And if we're not striving for that, we're depressed and we feel unworthy. There it is. That's the story of our life here on planet Earth. That's, that's how it goes every day for all of us. But what if that's not how it's supposed to be going? <laughs> so, you know, when we set up that supposed to, that, that idea that there's a supposed to, here's how you're supposed to feel, here's how you're supposed to think, here's how you're supposed to act, here's how you're supposed to perform, here's how you're supposed to make money, here's how you're supposed to do your job, here's how you're supposed to be polite. These are all the shoulds we have that are just rampant, that just like cover us up with this big thick spider web of, of rules about how we're going to say decide whether or not we're worthy. So the problem is we're always measuring ourselves to find out whether or not we're worthy instead of recognizing our worthiness in the mirror, recognizing that we don't have to measure ourselves anymore, that we don't have to even ask the question, am I worthy? Our worthiness, our sense of self, our peace and our joy, our heaven are already right here inside of us. We just have forgotten about it, and because we have forgotten about it, we have established all these rules to make us obey some kind of system, so that we'll be good enough to measure up. So when we read things like what Jesus said, as I said just before we left, and his in the text of uh, Matthew's five, six, and seven, I think it is where he's uh, preaching what's been com- come to be called the Sermon on the Mount. And he says that your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were people who made all the rules, wrote them down, and gave them to everybody, interpreted the scriptural text to mean certain kinds of rules, and everyone was supposed to follow those rules. And so, they were considered to be the most righteous of righteous people. They considered themselves to be that, and other people considered them to be that. Jesus, on the other hand, called them uh, serpents. And uh, uh, whitewashed sepulchers and several other things. Um, not pretty names. But uh, not only were they telling other people to do things they themselves couldn't do, which was why he called them that, and probably, and making up rules that protected their finances and things like that. But But even if they had been as righteous as they could be, it still was not going to be enough. Because it didn't. It wasn't the perfection that that he described later as you should be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We look at that and we're like, oh, my God, that's never going to happen. Forget it. I'm going to fail. And every one of us think of ourselves in that way. I'm going to fail. There's just no way I can be perfect and so we sort of give up on the idea of perfection and we sort of hang out in the middle ground between good and evil and we and we say well i'll pray a little bit and i'll do a little of this or i'll i'll give a little nice things or i'll be kind to other people or i'll you know these things will prove that i'm a worthy person but what if we don't even need to measure our worth what if that is the thing that is interfering with us being able to experience ourselves as the divine beings we are? What if that measuring is the problem? And that's the question that's raised in this book and answered in this book, Inhabiting Heaven Now, the answer to every moral dilemma ever posed. Because what the words in that text mean, and the reason I use, I will say this again, the reason I use the Bible as the text that I interpret, rather than the Bhagavad Gita or the Sufi text uh, sutras, or the Buddhist sutras, or or some of the Gnostic texts, where it's very clear that we're being told we're divine beings. Uh, the reason I use the Bible instead of those is because the Bible is the book that is used over and over again to refute the fact that we're divine beings. Uh, even though Jesus is one of the people who says, "Do your does your scriptures not tell you that you are gods?" And he's quoting from Psalms where it says the same thing. I have said you are gods. So um, when, even though it says that in there very specifically, we don't go there very often. And and the reason we don't is because we think of ourselves as failed people. And we imagine that if I'm a divine, divine being, well, I would never quote-unquote sin. Um, one of the best things that came out of the Course in Miracles is the idea that sin is a, a faulty idea. Um, but then you have these people going, whoa, whoa, "Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute if we if we don 't sin, then what is it we 're doing when we hurt somebody else we 're hurting somebody else you know that 's what we 're doing. If I walk up and slap you then i have I have to take responsibility for the fact that i 've done something that that hurt you uh, that 's my responsibility. How you receive what i 've done that 's your responsibility. My responsibility is for what i 've done. Have I committed a sin? Have I failed? Well, now that's where we got to talk about it. You see, you know, there are going to be people out there, and I can already hear them with the argument that says, "Well, now just because you change the name of something doesn't mean it's any different than what it was. <laughs> you call it a sin, call it bad, call it hurting somebody, call it any want Same thing. Hello. Okay. Here's what I want to say. Everything. That we do say, think, feel, believe, honor, etc., in our lives is used by the soul to bring us closer and closer to understanding who we are as divine beings. Therefore, it cannot be a failure. Does that mean that I don't, that I hit you and then I don't regret it? No, it doesn't mean that. I, I can regret it, and that's a part, the regret becomes a part of. What my soul will use to help me find out that I'm a divine being, you see, one of the beautiful things about that sermon on the mount is -hmm. that he starts out the sermon saying uh, that uh, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, and the light of the world. That's what he says to all the people that are listening to him, not a few people. And he doesn't say you're going to become the salt of the world and the uh, salt of the earth and the light of the world. He says you are the salt of the earth, and the light of the world. And then in the end of that sermon, he says, you are to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So, on both ends of that sermon, he's saying, you already got this thing. You already got this thing. In the middle, it seems to those who've interpreted the text according to the duality translate state, that he's telling us a bunch of rules that we have to obey, because he says things like, you've heard that it was said, you know, you shall not, uh, um, divorce your wife. What I say unto you, you know, you've heard that it said you, you shall not uh, mar- uh, commit adultery. But I say to you, if you lust in your heart after a woman, uh, then you know you have also committed a, a sin. And of course, we remember if you're if you're as old as I am, you remember when Jimmy Carter had to confess that he had lusted in his heart, um, because that he he had to admit that yes, he had sinned. Well. That's not what Jesus is trying to convey, all right? Not when we look at the root language, and that's what this book does. It looks at the root language. What he's actually doing is tongue-in-cheek saying to us, look, here's the deal. If you think that you're going to find out how you're supposed to be by following a bunch of rules, then here's some rules for you about your inner life, because that's where it's at, folks. It's not outside of you. It's inside of you. And so that's why he was saying now you're talking about behavior I'm talking about what you feel inside of you I want you to go there let's look at that And when we look at that what we have to say is yeah mm-hmm. I lust in my heart Yeah 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 I call I want to call people a fool Yes uh you know I I have these inner things inside of me But when we begin to look inside and really listen what we find is not only all the uh the identifications we've made with a dualistic self separate from the divine that have created our need to do x y and z um that we consider to be sinful but that we also find the divine self so um so okay there's an argument in the book in the chapter called Evil. If you've got the book already, or if you've, if you've, if you're, well, I guess you can't have it already. It won't be out till the thirteenth. But if you're thinking about ordering it, and you have an argument about evil, look at the chapter on evil when you get it. And what it says in there basically is it it debunks the whole idea that there's a Satan, that there's a devil, um, and and it uses the Bible to do that. Okay. Because the root language does not indicate that there's another being who's in a big grand battle with the divine. That's not what the root language tells us. What the root language tells us is that very often our fortunes are distributed um, in ways that we don't like. And very often we have shadow aspects of ourselves that we don't know about that sneak up on us. Those two things. Those two things can be interpreted to be the same thing as Satan or the devil. Um, so it, it's a it's an oppositional force, a force that goes against what we really want. It opposes our goals. It, it po- opposes us in ourselves and it falsely accuses us. It's interesting every one of the texts that have anything in there about the devil or, or Satan uses the word falsely accuses. So It's it's, it's so interesting that we don't seem to notice that it's saying falsely (laughs) accuses. It falsely accuses us of things. It tells us we're wrong when actually we're on a pathway to, to, to discovering who we are. Why are we on that pathway? Because centuries and centuries ago in the beginning of time, we took on the duality hypnotic trance state in order to discover what it is to live as if we are separate from the divine. And what that looks like for us down here on planet Earth is that everything is now divided up into good and evil. But that's the trance state. It's not the reality. The reality is this journey that we're on is not meant to, to make us win this grand battle, so that we become good and we are, we conquer evil for all time, which is what most of us think. That ultimately, if we can't conquer good, evil, and become truly good people, that Earth's gonna fall apart in a whimper or a bang, whichever. Um, and so, because we think that way, you know, we think, oh, well, the Earth's gonna, for most of us think, oh, yeah, we're gonna, we're headed for doom. Of course we are, because we're failed people. What else are we gonna be? But, But when when we think about it in terms of the duality trance state slowly breaking and we begin to awaken to who we actually are, which is what we're doing right now in this century, Um, many of us are beginning to awaken to who we are. So that process is one in which we begin to understand that we're not here to win the big battle. We're not here to become good and conquer evil. We are here to unite form with formlessness. Once upon a time there was no form, then there was form. And the minute form came into play, it began to ask the question, Well, now I'm not, I don't look the same as formlessness anymore, so does that mean I'm separate from form? And in asking that question, we started the journey of the duality trance And the end of that journey will not be when we become good and conquer evil. It will be when we unite form with formlessness. So the whole we've got the whole thing all wrong. We've been saying that what we've got to do is become good, become better and better people, and maybe we'll have peace on earth, and maybe, maybe, maybe we won't kill ourselves in one big apocalyptic boom. But really, that's not even what we're here to do. We're here to unite form with formlessness. To recognize that the divine and humanity are one and the same. And the only reason we don't recognize that and the only reason we don't act as if that's true is because we believe we're separate from the divine. And that the reason we're separate from the divine is because we're bad and the divine is good. And so we live that out. We live it out entirely. So when you ask me, well, what about Hitler. Or what about all these other demigods in the world who are committing genocides of all kinds of atrocious in all kinds of atrocious ways? Well, those people have identified with with a philosophy that's out there, and that philosophy is you can be evil. And they've identified with it. Why? Because it's possible to identify with it, and because the other option is to die. If they grow up in a home where they're told in some other fashion, some way, overtly or covertly, that they're bad then maybe they have to be badder and badder just to prove that they exist. So why wouldn't they be bad? We're going to come back and talk about this some more right after the break. And we're going to get to hear the clip from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday show this week, too. So stay tuned for that.
0: This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? How do I get there? If you're searching for the answers to these and other spiritual questions, you can look within. And you can tune into The Open Door. Our program will expand your awareness of the teachings of the Ascended Masters, offer you practical tools that promote self-mastery and personal freedom, and provide an unerring pathway for graduating from Earth Schoolroom. The Open Door with host Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy is broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
1: How can you make holistic health care work for you? When you are in search of wholeness, it's time to listen to Mind, Body, Spirit, Living a Holistic Life with host Renee David Alkali. Here you will find cutting-edge information that approaches the human being as a biochemical individual whole person rather than as a set of isolated symptoms. Learn how it all comes together on Mind, Body, Spirit, Living a Holistic Life. Live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on 7th Wave.
0: Explore subconscious programs, belief systems, and past life memories that may be sabotaging your life. Join host Dorian Light on her show, All About You, as she helps you to shift change and heal your life. Each week, Dorian does a light session using psychic energetics and the language of light to energetically shift and clear negative patterns you have stored regarding that week's topics. Step into the realm of infinite possibilities for your life. All About You airs live Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change.
1: You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: And I want to tell you about the clip that's coming up uh, for Oprah's Super Soul Sunday show that's going to air this Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific and Eastern Time. Oprah's going to sit down with Jack Kornfield, one of the leading Buddhist teachers in America. Kornfield shares the surprising secret to growing one's spiritual practice, introduces the basic principles behind Buddhism, as well as the steps involved in mindful living. Jack's spiritual explorations have taken him around the world. After graduating from Dartmouth College in 1967, he joined the Peace Corps and was sent to northeastern Thailand where he eventually sought training as a Buddhist monk. After leading a monastic life for five years, he made the conscious choice to return to the U.S., eager to share what he'd learned with the West and integrate the ancient teachings of Buddhism with the modern world. Cornfield has taught across the globe and led international Buddhist teacher meetings with the Dalai Lama. He went to on to co-found the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts and the Spirit Rock Center in Woodacre, California where he currently lives and teaches today. Here's that clip of the interview. So let's start at the very beginning if we can. What is is Buddhism? Is it a religion
0: or a tradition or um, a way of being? Um, Buddhism started with the teachings of the Buddha and then for some people it became a religion so it's certainly a big world religion. But on the other hand, as the Dalai Lama says, it's primarily a science of mind. Um, that is to say, the teachings of Buddhism don't ask anybody to become a Buddhist or change in that way. Or to believe in Buddhism? Or to believe in Buddhism, in So fact, you can be a Christian and be a Buddhist. Exactly. And you can be Jewish and be a Buddhist. Exactly, Yeah. yes. You can be a Muslim and be a you Buddhist. You can be a Muslim and be a Buddhist. Exactly. Yeah. That is to say, you can be a Christian or, or a Jewish and use Buddhist Practices.
2: Yes, absolutely. And you can inhabit heaven and be a Buddhist, Jewish, uh, uh, Muslim, anything in the world, because inhabiting heaven knows no religion also. So uh, what we've been talking about is this concept of failure and how it works to... Uh, undermine our attempts to know ourselves as spiritual beings because we're constantly measuring ourselves according to a standard. And the standard has been imposed upon us by the external world. And the external world is what we have learned to live out of as a result of the duality trance state. We live, as I said earlier, outside of ourselves, measuring ourselves according to a standard that is outside of ourselves instead of being inside of ourselves. And once we go there... Anybody out there who has really meditated and tapped into the deepest essence of him or herself knows that when you get there, there is no measurement. There is no question about your worthiness. There is no uh, um, um, understanding of this or that religion. It's just peace. It's just beingness. And that's what we get when we walk into the stillness of the I am that I am. The I am that I am is who we are. That statement, be still. And know that I am God, that's it from Psalms in the, in the, uh, Jewish Tanakh or the Old Testament of the Christian Bible says, be still in order to know who you are. Be still in order to know who you are as a divine being. The I am that I am is the Ipsaity. It is the, the beingness that is all of us, that, that we inhabit and that inhabits us. So why can we inhabit heaven now? Because we are that beingness now. And the heaven is the process. As we understand the root language, when, the word, the, when Jesus uses parable after parable after parable after parable in the New Testament to describe this thing called the kingdom of heaven, he never says it's a place out there you'll go after you die. Never once. And when he talks about hell, he's not talking about a place we go after we die either. He's talking about a sense of ourselves, a, a, a process that unfolds and opens into a transformative place. So I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. Um, the, the text, one of the texts that I expose in the, in the book about uh, where Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven and he talks about a field where both wheat and tares are growing at the same time. Tares mean, meaning weeds. And somebody comes up to this guy and he says, well, how come they're growing out there? And he said, well, I, some enemy put them out there. That's why they're growing out there. And and uh, and they said, well, let, let's go get them. And he says, no, 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 no. Because if you pull them up, you might pull up some of the wheat at the same time. So just wait until it's harvest time and then... You know, when, when the harvest comes, we'll pull them both up and when we get a tear in our hand, we'll throw it into the furnace and it'll be burned. But you look at the word furnace there and what most people have interpreted that to mean, well, that's hellfire. Well, first of all, when the term hellfire is used in accompaniment with the word brimstone, brimstone, and it is in the, in the Revelation of John, which is another thing I've interpreted in another book, which may, it's, may soon be published. Um, brimstone means incense of the divine. Yeah, that's what it means. It does not mean hell fire, and and fire is the is the all consuming love of the divine. So when all the things are thrown into the lake of fire in the supposed end times, what this was talking about is being thrown into the all consuming love of the divine. It's not talking about any punishment. <laughs> that's not what it's talking about. But the transformative process from duality to waking up to who we are. There is, there is very often some suffering in that. There is some gnashing of teeth. Um, so when, when he talks about throwing the tears into the furnace, what he's talking about is um, that furnace where you put a, a piece of clay, a molded piece of clay, and it comes out as a vase. Or you put in some metal and it's melted down to its core. That is the furnace. It is a place of transformation that's what hell is, a place of transformation. And it quite often involves suffering. Um so that so that we understand we, we what we think of as suffering in the terms of of um in, in that term of hell, we think of, oh my gosh, this is gonna be so hard, it's gonna be so awful. But while we're in the suffering mode, if we can go within, there's no suffering there. So even though this thing is happening to us externally where, say, we've lost someone we loved or, or we've been in an automobile accident or we're very physically ill or something like that, when we go into the meditative state, we don't find any measuring there. We don't find any suffering there. We find utter, absolute peace that comes from utter, absolute beingness. So... We can be going through this thing where the externalized view of ourselves, the identity that is based in duality, is suffering, because it can't understand what's going on, and it's trying to fit this into its paradigm of living, where there's good and there's bad, and I'm separate from the divine, and I'm failing, and I and I can't seem to get my worth going, and I can't accomplish this goal, and oh my gosh, what's happening, I might die before I get anything done. So... We're in that that the, the, the identity is living in that state of mind, but the divine self, which is also inside of us, is living in a whole different state of mind. And so when we go there to experience that, we know the truth of who we are. And it is that process of unfolding that actually describes heaven. Heaven is a process, an eternal process where we're constantly awakening to deeper and deeper aspects of who we are. That's what heaven is. (laughs) That's what it is. And it includes hell. The interesting thing about those tares and that wheat is that, that what Jesus says is that field is heaven. And both the tares and the wheat are growing in the same field. Hello. So there is no separation from the divine. Nothing can separate us. There's a verse in Psalms that talks about even if I go down to Sheol, you are there. Even when I die, you're there. Even when I'm living in the pit, you're there. Uh, and then there's a per, uh, verse in the New Testament that talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God. The, not principles, not principalities, not you know bad things, not good things. Basically, it's saying we cannot be separated. And yet. We still live in that as-if life. We live as if we can be separated from the divine. And, and so, that in that process of living that way, we suffer. And we don't know who we are. And we make up all these rules. And we build all these religions in order to tell ourselves, this is how you're going to get there. This is how you're going to get worthy. And once you're worthy, you're going to be okay. Okay. But that whole paradigm, it doesn't hold true when we walk into the stillness. It all falls apart. And the only thing there is joy and peace and a sense of utter, absolute, solid beingness. When you've touched the hem of that garment just once, you're healed by it. Your your life is just your your life sort of falls locked into place for just that few minutes. You may walk out of that meditative state or that awakened place, and 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 walk back into duality. You certainly can do that. I've done it. We're all we all do it, but we don't have to. We don't have to. But here's what I'm not doing. I'm not saying there's a big should here. <laughs> I'm not saying that if you will. Just live in that complete meditated state and take it with you everywhere you go. Then you can be in heaven right now. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying there is no way you can fail. No matter what, you cannot fail. Now, some people are going to hear that as well. She's just giving everybody an excuse to go out there and, you know, commit murder and and steal and rob and rape and molest and all kinds of horrible, awful things. Okay, yeah. If people are going to do that, they're going to do that. And what I say is not going to stop them or start them. So here's the deal. What I'm not saying is go, go go do your worst. What I am saying is that everything that you do will be used by your soul to bring you into closer and closer understanding of who you are as the divine being you actually are. That's what I'm saying. There is no way to fail. There is no life that returns to its opposite side empty. There is no way to return to the divine formlessness empty. We will come carrying the package of fulfillment that we attained in this life. No way to fail. So if we think of that, we are set free to experience heaven now. If we can really wrap our heads around that, and probably you don't wrap your head around it before your heart gets wrapped around it. Probably your soul... Informs your head. But sometimes, like I said, we walk out of that information and back into the duality trance state because we're in that process of unfolding. And we get it a little and we lose a little. I see clients all the time who tell me, I just take two steps forward and 44 back. I hear that all the time. When, when somebody's made some progress and they feel really good about it and then they find themselves next week in the same old pit they fell in the week before. I mean, a couple of weeks before the, when they felt good. And, uh, what I say to them is, you know, really probably not 44 steps first. But second, um, it's really more like two steps forward, one step back. And every time we step back, we, we go back there to get something we forgot or left behind that we need. So every step back is also part of the process. It, there's no way to fail. We cannot fail. Failure is not an option It has never been an option, and it's never going to be an option. Not because we buck it up and live tough and hardy. Not because of that. Not because we're running our whole lives from the opposite of worthiness, which is shame. Not because of that. Not because we're measuring ourselves. Not because we're trying to be our, quote-unquote, higher self. Not because we're striving for anything, but because we simply already are the divine self. And all we have to do is go in there and find it. You see, one of the things that happened at that metaphorical tree of knowledge of good and evil was that we externalized our lives. We began to see ourselves as outside of ourselves instead of inside of ourselves. And that is why we think the divine is so far away. It's because we're so far away from the divine in ourselves. But The divine is right there always in us as us never has been any different than that we just thought it was and that's the lie but we can begin to tell ourselves the truth and the truth we will tell is one of experience we must experience this in order to get it there's just no other way around it i could lecture you till kingdom comes <laughs> and and you might not ever get it until you experience it yourself so i would say do not give up on meditation Go find yourself a way to be with yourself. Sometimes people can do that while canoeing or kayaking or climbing or, you know, something like that. Find a way to connect to that inner place inside of you where it's still and silent and there's nothing but beingness. That's it. And we're going to be back next week to talk some more about how it is that we can evolve closer to our authentic self and don't forget, the book is coming out this Friday. Go to Amazon.com or your whatever your favorite online outlet is or your brick-and-mortar bookstore. Buy the book, read it, write me, ask me questions. I'm happy to talk to you. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
1: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.